You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rahim, and Bana. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Sheftiah, 372. The sons of Parosh. The whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736. Their mules were 245. Their camels were 435. And their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 darics of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priests' garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, and all the rest of Israel in their towns. We are in uh, starting a new series today in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, one big package for the next 14 weeks. Um, 
Just let me tell you, like, if you, uh, if you enjoyed the series in Exodus, I don't know if you remember the series in Exodus, that was, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Ezra and Nehemiah is kind of like a second Exodus coming out of exile, ex- Babylonian captivity and then rebuilding the city. Uh, it is an epic little narrative um, and a historical account of what happened to the people of God. And there is so much uh, that we can be drawing from the story of this people um, as it feeds into our story today. Um, as it all points to the personal work of Jesus Christ, um, it, is, it is truly epic. But, but um, hey, uh, so look forward to that. Come along, uh, get involved. Um, I, I want to just say as well, if you're a parent, you've got kids, uh, keep an eye on your email this week. Um, we've got uh, daily devotionals that have been coming, that'll be coming out um, that'll uh, help, help you um, to t- teach and disciple your children uh, through this series as well. Um, and I want to say a big thank you to Matthew Keller. Where is he? There he is. Legendary Matt, who's helping putting those together. He'll be taking us through the Lord's Supper later on. Uh, but get involved into those. And even if you're not a parent, do the devotionals because they're really good. They are, they are really good. But um, hey, we're going we're gonna to kick things off now uh, in, uh, in this series. Um, I should say as well, your little handout that you got on the way in. Um, yeah, that little uh, brochure. You could put that on your fridge. You could give it to a friend. Invite them along to come hear a bit about a biblical history and how it speaks to us today. That'd be really cool. And also in your handout, there's, I think, I think what did I call it? What was the tile at the top? There's a, it's the double up timelines. Is it rebuilding or something? I had some name. Oh, I've got one here. Returning to God. That's the one. Returning to God. Rebuild this one. Hold on to that, stick that in your Bible. This is your cheat sheet for the rest of Ezra and Nehemiah, or at least it will be for me because I get confused by what I read and I want to know where I am. So hopefully this will help you. We'll be using that today as well. Uh, Before we uh, kick off and uh, do any more, uh, let me pray and ask for God's help for us and for me as we get to do this really awesome thing in opening up God's Word. Let's pray. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you so much for the many blessings that you bestow on us every single day. We thank you for this beautiful weather. I thank you for this wonderful community of people that can be together, uh, that you have drawn to yourself, that you're drawing to yourself. Uh, And we thank you so much for the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you for his life, his death and his resurrection from the dead, uh, which gives us hope for now and for our future ahead. Uh, We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who is with us, who is in our hearts, changing us and and conforming us to be more like Jesus Christ. Uh, We ask for your help uh, now in these next few minutes. Um, Help me to speak truth. Uh, Help us to receive what you would have us receive uh, and help us to go from this day uh, with a greater, more glorious picture of how good you are uh, and your love for us uh, shown to us in your word. We ask for your help in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. Well, as we um, open up in this book of Ezra and Nehemiah, um, as I've been preparing and reading through and trying to do a little bit of my uh, preparation for the series ahead, um, it's been causing me to think about, uh, you know, their responses in their day. And then I guess what responses I'm seeing around me and us in our day. Um, There's a lot that's been going on in our world, I think, needless to say. I mean, tomorrow we get to celebrate Anzac Day. What a beautiful, wonderful, commemorative occasion for us to remember uh, those that have laid down their life so we can have the freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, But it also causes us to reflect and to think about what is going on in the world right now. There still is war in this world, isn't there? There still is hurt. There still is uncertainty. 
not only physical and uh, conflict, but we also have the conflict within our own bodies that we've been experiencing over the last two years, social and physical isolation. I wonder how you're going right now, and I wonder how you've been responding to the events of the last little while. I feel like I've noticed uh, four common responses. Um, one is anxiety. I don't know if you've been anxious. There's been times where I've certainly felt anxious. Uh, the other one has been a despondency, a kind of like a, just throw it all out. Why bother? I know I've certainly felt that at times. Cynicism. Who's felt cynical as they've scrolled through their Facebook page and Instagram feed? Yes. Yes, cynicism. See, I know, uh, anyway, I'd, the cynic, in, the little cynic in my mind has been shouting a lot the last little while. But there's also another response that we've been able to tap into, and a response that I think is a right Christian response, and that is one of hope. It's one of hope. There still is hope that we can have today. Now, it's really interesting as we think about these responses that we see in our day and age, what we'll see as we begin to open up Ezra and Nehemiah over these next few weeks, especially today, is that as we have experienced in our society back then, for the people of the day of Ezra and Nehemiah, there was also similar responses. There would have been similar responses. Responses of anxiety, responses of despondency, cynicism. But then what we'll see as we go through this series is that what carries them through is a response of hope. And that's really what I want to drill in with us today. Now, we're in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. It, is a, often, it, was, it has been packaged as one, one, one sort of, uh, you know, uh, historical account. Uh, it gets separated out. So we're starting off for the first six weeks in the book of Ezra. Now, Ezra, um, Ezra is a, uh, you can break it up into two main halves. So chapters one to six, we kind of see is the rebuilding of what is materially there, the rebuilding of the temple. And then the second half, so chapter 7 to 10, we see a spiritual rebuilding, no longer of the temple, but of the people. So two halves in Ezra and Nehemiah. We see that Ezra is very similar to like the book of Exodus coming out of Babylonian exile, coming out of slavery of Egypt towards a hopeful future based in the promises of God. But for us to really get a hold of Ezra, and especially for us to carry us through these next few weeks, I want to try and put us in the place and in the time and to get, give you a bit of an idea of like how things are going to be working out. Because if you're anything like me and you've read through Ezra and Nehemiah all in one big sitting, it takes a little bit of time. It takes, you know, half an hour. It's worth doing. But you constantly find yourself being like, well, what the, what's going on here? Like, how long has that taken? Who's this king? What are they doing here? How does this fit in the big storyline of the Bible? And we can find our need to understand that by looking at these first two verses, okay? I'm going to read these first two verses and I'm going to get you to pull out your timeline sheet and we'll find our place in the story, find their place in the story, and then we'll look at our place in the story, all right? So if you want to flip over onto the back of your handout, there's a reading there or keep your Bible open. I just want to read for us again, Ezra 1, Ezra 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord, God, he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. 
Thus says the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heavens has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now we need to find uh, a bit of context to understand that really well. If you're in gospel community, you'll know that after the first question, which is what is the gospel? The next question is that we want to start our time in the Bible is what is the context? Where are we? So I'll get you to pull out for me your timeline, your Ezra and Nehemiah cheat sheet, okay, to help us understand where we are. <clears throat> now, if you look at the bottom timeline, you can see that I've highlighted something for you there in blue. Cyrus decrees the Jews can return, 537 BC. That is where we are in this story right now, as Ezra and Nehemiah opens up. Now, just before that, what do we see? What, is, what has happened? We've had this exile. We've had this Babylonian captivity. What is going on there? What's go, what, what is all that about? So let's just do a quick crash course in the history of the Bible, all right? The history of like the, st the story of the Bible. So we've, un we've understood, if we go to the top one, top, top timeline now, we've got Garden of Eden. This is setting up what, you know, God's plans were for all of his people. We've got the Garden of Eden. Adam makes the garden, he makes the world. He creates Adam and Eve. It's good, 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 very good. Is this perfect harmony, this really good harmony of God and man and woman together in the garden. And he has said, I'm going to be with you. We're going to enjoy this relationship. And I'm putting you on this traje trajectory to let's cultivate this relationship. Let's build up and look after this garden and let's have a big family. And it's on this road to being a holy city. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Life with God in paradise, the Garden of Eden. Sounds pretty good. But then it's not that long. Genesis 3, that actually we see what theologians call is the fall. The fall. That is when... Uh, Adam and Eve, they, they, you know, they just wanted to go after a little bit of their own, you know, self-fulfillment. You know, they just thought, actually, you know, I, my way, it's, it's my way is going to be better. And, you know, despite the paradise that God has put me in and despite seeing, you know, as God is God as being God, I want to be God. So they disobeyed God and they were disobedient. They rebelled and their sin, their rebellion caused what God said would happen. Death. It caused a separation. And we can see that two, there's been this, what we thought about if you're here for Easter, this dividing wall of hostility was created. God and man were no longer together in paradise. They were no longer able to commune together and have and share relationship, but they were now apart. And this is not good. This is not what humanity was designed for. We weren't meant to live in separation and, and apart from God, were we? And so what we see through the story of the Bible is that actually God doesn't throw it all, doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, doesn't he? He doesn't go, look, let's just get rid of it all and just we'll start again. No, he relentlessly pursues his creation and the, 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 the people that he has made because he, he loves them. He's made them. They're an expression. They are made in his image. He doesn't want to get rid of that. So rather than God throwing it all out, he says, no, I love you. And although we can't be together now, I'm going to create a way that we can be together forever. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that path. So you can trust me. So just follow me. So it's like you've stuffed up that one time. Okay. But I'm a good, good father. And I love you so much. And I want to be with you. Okay. And then we enter into the story of God's people. 
Okay, now you can see there, if you track along the bottom, you've got some books of the Bible that go along there. So that's kind of like a chronological order of what's happening. If you're new to the Bible, you can sort of understand like, oh, actually there's an ordering here. There's, an, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way that history unfolds for the people of God through the Old Testament. Now, one of the first ways that God allows His people to have a closeness to Him again and is what we saw in the book of Exodus, isn't it? The first way that God makes, his, makes a path back to him so they can have this relationship, so they can live in God's blessing and know his promises and experience his power is that God allows them to make, what is it called? The, it's on the sheet. You can say it. Shout it out, Marie. Tabernacle. Yes, tabernacle. Now, how, what, now how does the tabernacle work? The tabernacle, God allows this meeting place, doesn't he? This meeting place. And people can now have access to God despite their disobedience. They can have a representative go to God in their place and to pray and to come before God. And there's a reminder of what the way it should be. God's people together again. But how do they, how, how does that, how does that union happen? Can they just, can someone just flippantly walk into God's holy presence? Uh Uh-uh, that would be like walking up to the Queen of England naked with poo covered all over your face. It's not going to go well. So God has these priests and there has to be sacrifice, there has to be cleansing, there has to be death for the disobedience that they have created. And so they can go back into God's presence and they have this tabernacle. And And this tabernacle exists for a while, they travel around with it. Um, and they have this access to God. But then the tabernacle, you know, if you know the story, God's people, they have these promises and the promises, they lead up to God's people growing and being blessed. And the family of God, what happens? Does it get bigger or does it get smaller? The family of God gets bigger and grows. And then there's this amazing dynasty as they have this King David. Who's heard of King David? You know, King David, David and Goliath, you know, defeated the big dude with a little stone, you know, man after God's own heart. This massive kingdom. And then there's King Solomon, which is like the epitome, like, the, the, like Israel was like the world power. And everyone was looking in, like there was a queen of, Bath, queen of Sheba, she comes in, she's just like, well, Solomon, you're pretty wise, man. Like, you're pretty cool. Like, this is what happens when you actually live God's way. Like, this is, this is impressive. This is amazing. And Solomon's like, yeah, I know. God is the best. Chuck out the rest. And by that time, Solomon has, he's basically upgraded the tabernacle, hasn't he? And he has put in this humongously big golden temple. The temple, the temple of Solomon. It was the new meeting place. Like it was, it was, it was incredible. It was amazing. It had courts and outer courts. And there was imagery all through the temple that harkened back to little Easter eggs of the Garden of Eden. It was like this place that people could come and meet God. And it was really, really cool. Like if you were an Israelite, if you're one of God's people, that like every year, go into the temple. Like, let's go. Like, let's go hang out with God. Let's go party. Come on, we're going to the temple. This is that place where we go and we remember who we are and where God meets us and we've got a way. And it is like, it's a reminder that God loves us and He's not giving up on us. And there's a way that we can meet Him. Temple, so, 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 so good. The temple's a big deal. It's a big deal for the people of God. But God in his beautiful logic, um, well, he continues his pattern that he established at first in the garden, didn't he? Because in the garden, he says, live this way and it'll go well. Don't do this one thing. 
And we see this pattern being uh, reinforced all throughout the, the history of the, New Test- of the Old Testament. We go to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26. If you want to read something that's just like awesome in terms of the character of God, Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. That is where God, early on, He begins to establish this pattern. He says, basically, if you live according to like the way that I've said is good for you, because, you know, I, I made you, you know, I'm like, and I'm like your dad and your heavenly father and I love you. And it's like, you know, like don't run on the road, you know, don't drink battery acid, you know, like all of these important things that we shouldn't do. He says, if you don't do those things, it'll go well. It'll go really well. And you'll be blessed and you'll grow and you'll multiply. But if you don't, <laughs> if you do those, if you don't do those things that I'm guiding you in, look, I'm just going to just going to be honest with you. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go well at all. It's not going to go well at all. But there's a little beautiful promise in Leviticus 26 towards the end. But even if you do stuff up, if you come back to me, if you say sorry and you acknowledge you're wrong, you're wrong and you repent and you ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. But anyway, fast forward to the temple. Awesome temple, King Solomon. What happens after King Solomon dies? They don't have that Jesus-like leader. They don't have that one to point them to God and to lead them in the way to go well. And after Solomon goes, it just goes chaotic. He goes haywire. It goes nuts. You know, the kingdom, God's people, they actually separate. You know, they had this huge big breakup. There was probably some sort of vaccine, vaccines involved. I don't know. You know, but there was people who had very, they were very opinionated and there was this huge, and they had, like they separated. There was 12 tribes of God's people and there were some that went north. They, retained, they called themselves Israel, but some went south. They were called Judah. Now, why did they divide? What happened? They basically were just like, you know what, God, we're going to drink the bacteria acid. We're going to do what we think we should do. We're not going to listen to your rules. We're not going to do what the way that we, you say that it would go. We don't actually believe that you're loving. We don't actually believe that you are going, that you have our best intentions at heart. And we, we think we can do a better job, you know, because we're people, you know, and we've seen some experience in life and we know better. And so God, according to what he has said, he's just like, okay, you do that. It's not going to go well. And it doesn't. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well at all. Massive, big separation. And if you want to know how bad it gets, read the book of Judges. Read the book of Judges. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm back a step. But that's how bad it can get. But we, no, we actually, sorry, read the book of Isaiah. Sorry, read the book of Isaiah and read about the kings. Read the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. Read about how good those kings were. Spoiler alert, the majority of the kings sucked. Big time. Like, you know, you've got a pretty bad like ruler of the land when he thinks it's a good idea to sacrifice his son to like an unknown God. Like that's, that's like, just, just so you know, that's not cool. Okay. That's, that's, we're not, we're not after child sacrifice. And so anyway, during the time of these bad Kings, there's a prophet who comes to town. His name is Jeremiah, you know, colloquially known as the weeping prophet, which isn't a good sign. If you've got Jeremiah coming to pay you a visit and Jeremiah, he says, look, uh, because you have not gone God's way, um, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be discipline. Have you heard of the, uh, the Babylonians? You heard about the empire of the Babylonians? You heard of Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar? Great warrior came and he basically just 
destroyed everything. You know that temple that was really cool that they loved? It's gone. God allows it to go. And actually, if you read in the book of Daniel, you actually get to hear what happens to the people of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he tears them out of Jerusalem. He's like, you can come back to our place. I want the smartest dudes and I'm going to assimilate them to our culture. That was actually the Babylonian strategy. Those three main powers of the time. One was the Assyrians. The Assyrians, they dealt with the kingdoms that went north. The Assyrians. Now the Assyrians, their strategy in dealing with, dealing with the people that weren't their people was annihilation. That's why you don't get to hear much about what happened to the, to the tribes that went north. It's like, what happened to those guys? It's just like, oh, they met the Assyrians. Yes. Yes, it went very well for them. No, it didn't. And the guys that went south, the Babylonians, their strategy was to, rather than annihilate, it was assimilate. It was take the, the, the best and the brightest and let's just use them and, and shape them to be a part of our culture and we'll get the most out of them. You, see what, you can see the way that the prophet Daniel responded to that and what happened in that time. If you actually look, second timeline, you can see what's going on at the same time of that exile, Daniel 1 to 6. And so we've got now in this exile period, we've got those people that have been torn out of Jerusalem, which has been leveled, no more temple, no more hope. You've got God's people that are now, let's say, just, just short of 70 years in Babylonian exile. 70 years in Babylonian exile. Now, what, what, what's, the, uh, what's a community of about, say, 70 people? What's a discussion like within this exile if you're calling yourself one of the people of God? You know, you've probably got some people, you know, they're probably pushing 80 and they just want to get back to the good old days. Remember the good old days? Remember when we used to live in Jerusalem? Oh, yeah, come on. And then, oh, then Nebuchadnezzar came through. We couldn't have a king. Yeah, that was bad times. I don't, it's just like I hated what I saw and I hate what I've become, but I still remember the good old days back in Jerusalem. And then you've got some other people that are, you know, that are part of the, you know, the, the, those people that are torn out. You know, they're either about 20 years old and they hear these rumours about, you know, what it was like to be an Israelite back in Jerusalem with this great big temple, but it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, my dad talks about it, but I've never seen it. Like we live in Babylon now. This is just where we are. It's pretty good, I guess. You know, we, we seem to be fitting in pretty well, you know. Um, you know Nebuchadnezzar, he's pretty cool, I guess. You know, he's, he's pretty powerful. He's got a lot of horses. I like horses. And maybe you've got some of the young kids, you know, maybe, you know, five to ten, and they just they just... They, they hear these conversations from their mummy and daddy at the table about, you know, what it's like living in Babylon. You know, they've got the crazy uncle that they always see around the time of, oh, you know, oh, this is normally when we would share Passover. That's right. The crazy uncle is talking about, no, we've got to get back to Passover. This is the way that it should be because there's promises. I've been reading the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said that 70 years and we'll be out of exile. What are these little kids thinking in that time? God's people in exile, the destruction of the temple, the, the way back to God has been completely removed. And how are they feeling? There's some that are incredibly anxious. Who knows what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do next? This is volatile, powerful ruler. What is he going to do with us? You've got some that are incredibly just despondent. They've just given up and given in to the culture that they've now been torn out of, torn and placed into. There's rumours of Daniel that's doing some good things, but then there's also some other stuff that's going on. And you're just like, that's weird, you know? He got thrown to the lions. You hear about that. Oh, he was okay. What's going on there? You've got other people that they're just cynical. They're just cynical about the things that they're hearing. Oh, as if we're really going to go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's done. 
There's no such thing as the temple. Where is God in all of this? It's been 67 years. As if God even cares. God isn't even real. He's a myth. And then you've got some that are hopeful, that hold on to the promises of God. You've got some that have been reading the book of Jeremiah and they know, you know, there's, Daniel's one of them. And they read that God has promised. He said, yes, you're going to be, dis- you're going to be punished for your disobedience. But 70 years, and then I'm going to pull you out. You'll know the land will have had rest, and then we're going to go home. And I'm going to make a way, because I'm a God that loves you, and that is faithful to you, and cares for you, and I'm going to give you another way of having this relationship and approach back to me. There's people that are hopeful. And that is where we are right now when we read in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, when it says... In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom. That is where we are now in Ezra 1. Now, if you wanted to get fancy and try and understand this timeline a little bit better, you could fold it in half lengthways and just to Temple 2.0 because... Ezra and Nehemiah, they don't know about the cross yet. Like this is just for our sake to put us in the story. But Temple 2.0, this is what they are now, what we're going to be reading about. This series called Rebuild. Ezra is all about the people going back to rebuild the temple. Do you remember how significant the temple is for these people? This is their access back to God, into his power, into his promises and into his purposes. It's a big deal. And they hold on to this hope. And they all have different responses to what's going on. Now, here's what I want us to think about in this first week of Ezra. God is a God who will keep his promises to you and me and to his people. And God is going to keep his promises and get done what he wants with whoever he wants, whenever he wants. God will always keep his promises to you and me, to those of you that are his people. God keeps his promises. And we see that so beautifully in this opening chapter when he says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. King of Persia. Who is this Cyrus guy? God's going to keep his promises through this, not an Israelite, not a Jew. He's like some random Persian dude. And God is like, you know what? I can use him. I'll use that guy to restore my people back to me. I mean, first up, I mean, (laughs) like, you know, I I love, you know, I I think it's great and we should pray for, you know, good Christian government in our land. But God does whatever he wants with whoever he wants. He's going to keep his promises to you and me. Um, I talked about the three responses to the global powers of the day. Assyrians would annihilate. The Babylonians would assimilate. The, the, the Persians, their strategy with people was accumulate. It was to like accumulate the different faith and the religions of the land and basically be like, you know what? We can just all make them work. Rather than wipe them out, rather than just make them do our thing, Cyrus, his view was basically like, oh yeah, I see that there's these these Jews over here, these Israelites that have this 
You know, they've got a bit of a history here of the one true God and what he's done. I've heard about the Exodus. That, was, that sounded pretty cool. You know, I've heard about some of the things that he's done. So Cyrus thinks it's a good idea and God stirs up his heart and God tells him, how good is this? Verse two, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Like what is going on there? You know, remember the cynical response? Like I put myself in the cynical response of being the person on the ground right there. You know, imagine just flipping through your, you know, your newsfeed on your phone at that time. And then all of a sudden you've got this king of Cyrus says, God's spoken to him. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has spoken to him. It's like, Cyrus, he's not talking to God. When has he done any, like, when has he, you know, done the peace offering and the free will offering and, you know, the sin offering? He's not doing any of those things, but he has. God has spoken to Cyrus. He does. God's keeping his promises through the most unlikely and unpredictable person in all of history at the time of God's people. It's crazy. God's keeping his promises. He loves his people so much. He's going to use who he wants, whenever he wants, and he's going to get it done in whatever way he likes because God is that good. And so as we think about today and as we start off Ezra and Nehemiah, we're going to see more and more of the way that God keeps his promises to his people. And God it just will just get things done despite the fierce opposition of people trying to get in the way of what God is calling his people to do. Like we're going to see God calls a lot of people to be like, all right, Nehemiah, you do that. Zerubbabel, you do that. The people, you do that. The people, give that. Read that. Build that. And there's going to be a lot of opposition that we see come about. And do you know what's going to happen? Nothing is going to stop it. The timing isn't quite maybe is what the people might like. That's why, we have, that's why I've given you this second timeline because there'll be times you'll be like, what the heck has happened now? So it's like, oh, it's 20 years later. <laughs> 20 years, that's a long time. But God still gets it done. God will keep his promises. So what difference does this little introduction to Ezra and Nehemiah mean for us today? You know, like we remember God is going to keep his promises. We've got some kind of weird promises back here. You know, rebuild the temple, have access to God again. Like, how does that translate to us in today, you know, in 2022, post, you know, post, post-pandemic? Can we say post-pandemic yet? I don't know if we're allowed to do that. Okay, we get a nod there. Some people, the cynical ones are saying, no, we can't say post-pandemic yet. The despondent ones aren't answering. The hopeful ones are saying, yes, it's hopeful. All right. What difference does this text make away? The principle is God is going to keep his promises. Are you someone that reads your Bible? Are you someone that knows the promises of God that he has kept in here for you? I hope that person's been reading their Bible. There's three types of categories of people I think that we can think about in this context of Ezra that are aligned to ours. God's keeping, God is keeping his promises to people who are exiled, who are far from him. And then we see that God is keeping his promises to those that, of, of them that are returning to him. And then God keeps his promises to those that are, that are looking forward to being with him. So those that are apart, those are journeying through and those that are looking forward. Now, these promises that we've read about in Ezra, they came through the prophet Jeremiah. Do you remember that? If you want to follow that up, chapters 25, 29. Now, God has made even better promises than the ones that he made to Jeremiah. Do you know that? There's a true and greater prophet, not not a mere human, but the great God-man himself, Jesus Christ. A new and better Jeremiah. 
And I just want to share three of his promises that he makes that are still applicable to us today. Remembering that God keeps his promises. Jesus said, maybe you're someone that's exiled. This is a promise to those that are exiled. This is a promise to you. If you feel that you are separated from God, there's no hope to returning to God, that actually maybe your life is going to be one apart from God. Jesus comes, Jesus lives, Jesus dies. He comes back to life. So we know that his promises are probably worth listening to. You know, I'm going to listen to the guy that is dead and then comes back alive. He's probably worth taking seriously. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's my logic. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Do you want a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ if you feel separated from God? Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. How good is that? Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Do you have people in your life that you know that are searching for meaning, that are looking for hope? God's a God that keeps his promises. And God comes down in the personal work of Jesus Christ and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Are you hungry? Do you need nourishment? Do you need sustenance to keep going? Come to me. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Keep that promise in mind when you're speaking to someone that doesn't know where to go next. They may be at the end of their tether. They might be going through a hard time in life and maybe you thinks that they're distant from God and that God would never accept them. Maybe you're here right now and you feel that way. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I've done some things and God would never accept me. You know what, I've got some big regrets. You know, the past two years of isolation, I did some stuff that, you know what, not proud of it. And I don't think God would be either and he wouldn't accept me. We've got the book of Ezra and Nehemiah to show that God keeps his promises in, ve- in a very unlikely fashion. And he does that through a guy named Cyrus, who in the book of Ezra, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah calls Cyrus an anointed one. He calls him a Messiah. And that's how he gets the work done. Jesus is an anointed one. He is the Messiah. And he says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. There's a promise you can hold on to. You can remember. No one. Is too far gone. Here's a second promise. Maybe this one is for those that are on the road back to Jerusalem, back to God. This promise is for you, Kobe. Have a listen. Jesus says to them, he says to us, he promises to us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Are you wondering about what the next step in your life should be? About which way you should go when you come to those crossroads in life? When you're faced with a temptation or a trial or a big decision? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Those steps of faith that we can take when we're nowhere pursuing Jesus they can be hard, but they're not going to end, we're not going to end up in a place where we go, whoa, where am I? Because we'll be with Jesus, who's the light of the world. 
and he will provide that illumination. And, and he, you know what light does? It, it provides us security. It gives us hope. It gives us warmth. There's a promise. You know what? I hold on to that promise when I'm going through life. And, you know, there's two ways that you can go. One is very obviously not the Jesus way. <laughs> We've all been in there before. That's not the Jesus way. <laughs> That's not the Jesus thing to say. That's not the Jesus thing to do. And then there's the other way. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. Feel sketchy. Jesus promises that I'm the light of the world. You go that way, you will not walk in darkness. And hold on to that promise. God keeps his promises. He shows us in Ezra and Nehemiah that he does, and he shows us in Jesus that he does. What about this last promise? Those of us that are looking forward to fully enjoying God. You know what? Christian life, it's tough, it's hard, it's not easy. There's opposition. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he gives us this promise. In take heart, I have overcome the world. We just remembered it last week. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That promise is one that if you are following Jesus, there is nothing that this world can throw at you, even the firing squad. You know what? You can always have hope in those circumstances. I am the resurrection in the life. Though he die, yet he will live. An amazing, beautiful promise from our Lord Jesus Christ. So God shows us that he has a track record of keeping his promises. We see that in these opening two verses of Ezra. Come on, two verses. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go anymore. I know you're worried. But God has a track record in keeping his promises. Do you live in the hope of what Jesus Christ has promised you? Because those are promises that are still yet to be fulfilled. Well, I don't know who you are today. Maybe you've come today and maybe you doubt God's ability to keep his promises. Maybe today looking at Ezra 1 is not quite enough for you to really know that, oh, you know what, it's nice in theory, but I don't know if I can trust these promises. Maybe it's just all made up. If that's you, I want to encourage you just to keep coming along. Just keep investigating who Jesus is as he reveals himself through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. I'd love for you to get to know this community of people, a community of people that live in and from the promises of God. We have a faith, okay? It's a faith that we don't always see. It's, we don't always get to see it face to face, but we know in our hearts he's real and there will be a day where we'll get to see him face to face. And if you're still trying to figure out God and his ability to keep promises, as you, can, as you keep sussing us out, Keep sussing out this community. Have a read of the Bible. Here's some pre-reading for you. Get stuck in. Read through Ezra and Nehemiah and have a look at what God has done. It's history. You know, if I had a PowerPoint slide, I'd show you all the artifacts that confirm everything that's going on here. Cyrus's edict, all of that stuff. If you don't have a Bible, come and see me. I'd love to give you one.
So as you go out today and as you go out into this week, perhaps you'll be asked on Monday, what did you do on the weekend? What did you get up to? What are some of the things that you were thinking about? You know, when you go out into this week, I would love to encourage you to, to say or continue to think about, you say, you know what? I went to church. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? It's all right. And I was reminded from an ancient text of a living God who keeps his promises to his people. And I was reminded of the promises that still hold true today. And I'm seeking to walk in those. Would you like me to tell you about them? I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to spend some time together remembering God's promises with props. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God that keeps your promises. We thank you so much that you're a God that relentlessly pursues us and is always seeking to create a way so that we can come back into beautiful relationship and communion with you. We thank you that we can see that through the tabernacle, through the temple, and that we can see that more perfectly in what Jesus Christ achieves as being the new and better way, the way, the truth, and the life. Our Father, we thank you for the reminder today that you're a God that keeps your promises And you do that with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Help us to live in this confidence and help us to live knowing the promises that we can hold fast to as your people in this moment in a crazy and chaotic world. We ask for your help by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.